Hello, Christ Central. Merry Christmas to you. The scripture reading today comes to us from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, and 30 and 31. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, and 30 and 31. Let me read this for us. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. That her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then at the end, verses 30 and 31 reads, Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Christ Central and friends, all of you who are listening in, in such a season and a time as this, how have you found comfort? What comforts you? How do you go about finding comfort? In secular modern culture, you have to find it in this material world. A material comfort, food and drink. Oh, good food, good drink. Oh, they do do wonders. You take a a beautiful hike underneath the sun, under the blue skies with social distancing, with your mask on. You go to the beach. You enjoy all of created good things. And of course, around this holiday season, new and shiny possessions, material wealth, You pile on and load up more things. And please, let's not pretend that these things do not give us comfort. Of course they do. They give us a lot of comfort. But for how long? Uh, Kenton Bishore, a pastor, gave a Thanksgiving message to a large church situated in Newport Beach. And he asked this question, what is the one thing no one has? What's the one thing no one has? The answer, enough. Year after year, season after season, we are walking exhibitions. We prove that just getting more stuff is never enough. So how do you go about finding comfort? If you're used to spiritual cultures, you have a spiritual worldview. Well, you get immaterial comfort. You got to get it from something out of this material world. Some kind of connection with God and inspiration. Transcendence, a movement in your soul. Now, what is this comfort that God promised? In Isaiah chapter 40, it opens up with God aching. It's a revelation of his own heart. Comfort, comfort my people. What kind of comfort is this? How about it's a comfort that's both material and immaterial? Just as we recited the Heidelberg Catechism earlier, it's for body and soul. It's both physical and and spiritual. Make no mistake, the kind of comfort that God promised is multidimensional. It's multidimensional. I want to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And here the Apostle Paul opens up that letter with this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort 
who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Notice here, according to the Holy Scriptures, the kind of comfort that God promised does not require the absence of or the elimination of all suffering. No, it comes right into the midst of all kinds of affliction, it says. And in the Bible, it just comes in so many different forms. The way that God comforted his people. He gave food. He gave even the company of angels at times. For others, you find it in prayer. Or you find such supernatural comfort knowing and feeling that other people are pouring out prayers for you. Apostle Paul, he was comforted in prison by writing love letters. And he was also comforted by the expectation that one of his good disciples or good friends would soon come and visit him with the parchments and a cloak. A cloak because he was cold in prison. Notice the, the, the variety or the multifaceted ways, multidimensional ways that God brings comfort to his people. And I do also want you to know that in those two verses that we just read, if you have the heart and the instinct to go out and become a person who comforts and heals this world, makes this world a better place, oftentimes you're going to find it that you learn it in your own pain. You're going to learn and gain that kind of comfort for all others, uh, for the affliction that other people will go through when you get comforted by God in any and all kinds of affliction you may suffer. Comfort from God is multidimensional. Also, the comfort God brings is personal. Personal. So how are you doing these days? How are you doing? Really? I think for a lot of you, you have trouble falling asleep. It's one of the reasons I took a sabbatical for the last five months or so. Some of you have been falling asleep crying. A lot of you feel like you can barely get out of bed. And if you are suffering in this way, you know, deep down in your hearts, this is not an academic issue to be solved. It's not an impersonal issue to be solved. No, it's very personal to you. Now, could it be that God, God himself, takes it personally? That his answer to our suffering and affliction is not some platitude, it's not some philosophical system, but that he came all the way down to get personal experience with it, even in his own son, Jesus Christ. Oh, that ancient glorious Christmas promise of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. This to you shall be a sign. The virgin, the, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And he shall be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel, that means God with us. God with us. You see, God became personal with our affliction so that he can become personal to you and to me. In any and all affliction. Oh, just as when Jesus, he rose from death, not just in an invisible soul, but with the resurrected body. Notice how he goes through locked doors and he visits his fearful, scared, almost mutinous disciples. And just as Jesus did that with his own back then, 
Don't you know what Jesus does for you and for me even now? He can cross all kinds of boundaries. There is no barrier that can hold him back. No social distancing, no contagion, no shame, no disease. Even if it were deadly or fatal to him. Jesus Christ crosses lonely and locked bedrooms and even comes to hospital bedsides to comfort, comfort my people. No religion or worldview even begins to promise that God could become so personal with you, let alone provide comfort in our pain. First was a comfort promised here in verse 1, but let's talk about comfort provided. How did God go about providing this kind of comfort for his people? Now, you and I well know that one of the dynamics in real relationships is that if you want to bring comfort to someone else, oftentimes it will make you uncomfortable. And depending to the degree of how much comfort you may want to bring, it can cost you. It may cost you a lot. So here is God who sent his prophet Isaiah to explain to his people, beginning with his people, this is how uncomfortable I have become. The Lord created God. This is how offended and heartbroken he has become. And so chapters 1 through 39 is almost nothing but devastating judgments, beginning with the people of God against their creator God, what they have done. So notice here in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. It sets an ominous tone for this book, does it not? Here is what God is saying through Isaiah. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of, uh, I am wearying of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. God uses the language that he is weary of his people's religious exercises. Even our prayers at times. He goes on to say he uses the word hate, hatred. Look at verses 16 and 17 as we go on. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Here's what God calls out. He calls out hypocritical prayers. Because of our apathy and abuse of the public common good. God intensely cares about individual and social righteousness. They go hand in hand. And nobody escapes this kind of judgment from God. Nobody, no technology, no political party, no progressive or conservative theology or society, not even the prophet Isaiah himself. Because in chapter six, when he gets remotely close to the holy, holy, holy presence of God, when Isaiah himself gets near the holiness of God, he cries out saying he wants to die. He feels like he is disintegrating, falling apart. Comfort provided came at a great, great discomfort or cost. 
And in chapter 40, this incredible note of hope arises that scholars are still perplexed by it because it's so sudden and seemingly so abrupt. And how is it that God goes about bringing comfort, comfort, my, comfort, comfort to his people? And the key is verse 1. Your warfare is ended. Your pardon, your iniquity is pardoned. Quote, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Double for all her sins. Now, what does this sound like? From the English translation. It sounds like she, the people of God, have received double the punishment from God's own hand. Does it not? But the word punishment is not here at all. And the rest of the Bible bears no hint whatsoever that God would ever be unfair or excessive or go overboard in his punishment for our sins. In fact, the inverse would be true. Rather, to comfort his people, to still call you and I my people. It's not that God gave a double punishment. No, he made a double payment. She has received from the Lord's hand a double payment for all of our sins. It's one thing to know that God is no longer out to get me. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But it is quite a higher, more secure, confident, exuberant blessing to know that God now cannot and will not withhold anything good toward his own. You know, just this week I wandered into Elizabeth's bedroom and there was a handwritten note from one of our old family worship services. And I saw it posted right above our desk and I was, I was touched. I was touched. It's a note that I had written and she posted it there. But then it dawned on me, why haven't I seen this before? Maybe it's because I've never really paid attention to my daughter until this shelter in place orders. Or my daughter knows it's Christmas time and she's using it to, for some kind of leverage. Anyways, neither option is good. But here's what she has posted. <laughs> The definition of mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Now, this should explain a lot to you about my daughter's situation at our home. But it does explain the situation for all of us as sons and daughters of God. And do you know how often the Bible pronounces over and over and over and over again? It's not that just God is no longer out to get you. No, mercy and grace, mercy and grace is pronounced and it is readily poured out. If you struggle with this, you know, just the idea that God would never go overboard with punishment, but he might go overboard in his payment, in his goodness, in his mercy and grace. It's right here in chapter 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. See, this is not about survival of the fittest. That is just not how God's kingdom works ever. This is double the comfort for the weakest. God says and promises here, I'm not only going to just take care and wipe out all your sins, 
but then I will carry you, I will embrace you in my bosom. Not only am I going to pay off and get you out of all of debt, your debt of sin, I'm going to set you free from slavery, set you and get you out of jail. Now after that, I'm going to, you're coming home with me. And if you look and understand Jesus Christ, the son of God and what he came to do, Yes, he died. He died to make a payment, an infinite crushing debt that we all owe for our sin, our defiance, our independence from God. Jesus perished and died upon a cross. But that's not the only payment he made. Jesus lived. He lived a perfect righteous life so that you and I get to inherit a new father in heaven, a new brother, a multitude of brothers and sisters, an eternal inheritance that is incorruptible, a new family, a new sonship, a new daughtership, a new adoption. Jesus paid twice. See, in other words, Jesus paid twice over. He lived and he died for you so that now he cannot and he never will hold anything back that is good. A comfort promised, a comfort provided. At double payment in Jesus. Third, we close with this. Comfort made palpable. How do you and I go about finding and experiencing this multidimensional personal comfort from God? Look at verse 31. Look at verse 31. I'll read it again for us. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. You have to wait. First, what this means, wait means to trust his timetable, not my own. To wait means that you and I admit, I'm not in charge. I'm really not in total control. I might have thought I was, but 2020 rolled around and dispelled that delusion. I've never really been in charge. So God, I will trust your ways and means, your laws and your timetable, I can wait. And to those who can wait, trust his timing more than our own, you will find comfort. You see, worry, anxiety, insecurity, bitterness, complaint, it comes from our insistence that, God, I, you know, if I were in charge, I know I could do better. I know better. I'd do it quicker. On December 6th, on Instagram, our dear sister Susanna Nam, along with her husband David and their three children, you know, they've moved to become missionaries at Christ College in Taiwan, completed their quarantine. And she posted this that I'd like to share with you. You'll see it right here. Quote, I'll read most of it. Yes, going to a school in a different country with a different language comes with fears. Maybe it's also because with COVID, we've been together basically 24-7 for the past nine months. That's way longer and more bonding than any maternity leave I've taken. But in the end, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, I'm gently and graciously urged by God to surrender to his plan, his protection, and his love for them. And that trust in truth it is also comforting. David and Susanna and all of our missionaries, we are thinking about you and we promise to keep praying for you. 
To wait means to trust his timetable. Second, to wait means to hope. It means a positive, optimistic, expectant hope. Mental health is at all-time lows. Oh, I've known and felt my share. And a lot of people are being assaulted and coming to believe in what I would call not just cynical, but cataclysmic beliefs. You know, they go like this. Things are never really going to get better. Oh, I'm never going to get better. Oh, if you really knew about my family history, if you knew about my addiction, there's just no way out. My business, my future prospects have been devastated. I just don't see a way out of this. Now, my friends, listen. If all you look at is present problems, if all you look at is the present hypocrisies and inconsistencies and all the failures and frustrations in our community, churches, in our government, in our country, and in this world. I want you to realize if that's all you're looking at, don't you see you are not waiting, you're not hoping in him. To wait for the Lord means to trust his timetable. Second, it does mean to hope, to hope in him. Third, the most crucial part, wait for the Lord. The Lord. Lord is in all in caps. So here's the question. Here's the most important part for comfort to be made palpable. Who really is the Lord to you? Who is Lord? Are you trusting? Are you hoping? And are you obeying? Yes, obeying. All that he has said. You want to know the greatest discomfort in all the world? That no medicine or technology or money or education can heal. The greatest discomfort. And it permeates all of life. It comes from not being right with the Lord your God. When God cries out, comfort, comfort my people. Comfort comes when you are his people obeying him as Lord. It is that simple. But it's supernatural, the kind of comfort that will come flooding in. When you walk in obedience to God as Lord. Listen, my friends. If you are willing to give up that relationship. If you can finally repent and get rid of those outright wrong things. Or you can even get rid of those good things. When you lay down all of your heart. And you submit. And you obey him as Lord. What does Isaiah say? What does he say will happen? They shall renew their strength. They shall renew their strength. They shall be oh so comforted. As an intriguing note as we ended Isaiah chapter 40. I don't know if you caught it. Shouldn't it say they will walk, then they'll run, and then they'll mount up with wings like eagles? That would be a natural crescendo, right? But it's the other way around. This is like anticlimactic. It begins with saying they shall soar and fly like eagles. Then it says then they'll run, and then it closes with then they'll walk, 
and not be faint. Even young folks get exhausted and faint. But those who wait for the Lord, because God himself never faints, shall be renewed day by day. Why does it end this way? What's the point? I think the point is, is that you can just keep walking. You can keep going. Now, those of you in your 50s and 60s, at this point, if this struck you, you're like saying, oh, pastor, now, this passage really speaks to me. Thank you. Yeah, why does it end almost in an anticlimactic way from flying to running and then walking? I think the point is, are you able to endure anything and everything that comes your way? Do you remember 2019? Can you even remember it? And then 2020 hit us. And as amazing or as maybe as happy and as nostalgic as you are about 2019 and before 2020, here we have it. And then the prospects of 2021 with or without an effective and exhaustive rollout of vaccines. Looks like it's going to go on for a while though, our situation. (laughs) You see, this is life. Sometimes you and I can fly so high you feel like you can touch the sky. But not always. No, not always. You come back down to earth. And here's the question. Can you still get up and walk? Can you keep going? No matter what comes your way. To wait for the Lord means to trust, to hope, and obey. So that you and I can keep walking, keep going, anytime, anywhere, anyhow, comforted and renewed. Now, recently I was hanging out with Peter Moon and John Choi, a member of our church. And we mourn and miss uh, our sister, Jessica Moon, Peter's late wife, mother to Elijah, Joshua, and Jonah. And as we were hanging out, Peter shared of an older friend who also lost his wife to colon cancer last April, but who cannot sleep in the same bedroom any longer. As John and I leaned in, Peter went on to share that he has no problems sleeping in the same bedroom because Jesus comforts me. Because Jesus comforts me. My friends, there is a comfort for you. Right here, right now. It's in Christ Jesus as Lord. You can taste it. It can become palpable. And it only gets better with time. It only gets sweeter. Because Jesus came back from the dead... You and I are not only going to just get perfect consolation in heaven. You and I are going to get the full body restoration of loved ones we've lost in Christ. And we're going to get our bodies back too. Russian author Dostoevsky. No, I did not read the whole book. It is laborious, I'll confess. But man, this quote is just too good. Let me share it with you again. I have a childlike conviction that the sufferings will be healed and smoothed over. 
And that ultimately at the world's finale, in the moment of eternal harmony, there will occur and be revealed something so precious that it will suffice for all hearts to allay all indignation, to redeem all human villainy, all bloodshed. It will suffice not only to make forgiveness possible, but also to justify everything that has happened with men. So at this Christmas time, let's celebrate the wonder and the grace of the birth of our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us in Jesus Christ. But Christmas is also a time to wait, anticipate, trust, hope, ache, and obey him as, obey him as Lord for his certain return. And insofar as you and I do that, this is how God comforts, comforts his people. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I pray that by your word and by your sovereign, mighty, loving, and personal spirit, oh God, would you bring comfort, a palpable comfort. May we taste and see that Jesus Christ indeed has risen from death. And he is not only with me, but for me, walks with me, walks with me, no matter what may come. To that end, O oh God, may we trust and hope and obey to your glory for our joy and renewed strength. Hear us, we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.